we had to take a detour. The Holy Spirit, as I was praying on Tuesday, um, I, I knew that the sermon, The Struggle is Real, was over. I knew that the series was over. And I know you'll miss it. And everybody said, Amen! Amen! Well, here it comes. Um, we're going to talk this morning uh, about how Jesus talks to his disciples and really anyone that would listen about the kingdom of God and, and kingdom living. And I've entitled this series The Upside Down because kingdom living is upside down. Kingdom living, uh, Jesus describes this kingdom living and you know sort of the principles that are, that are laid out by Jesus in these times. The first shall be last, right? What? The last shall be first. And to live is to die to yourself. And all this sort of kingdom living that is, that is contrary to what you might think in everyday life. And we'll go through some of that. But we're going to be in Matthew. And we're going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get into the Beatitudes this morning a little bit. And, and Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount uh, in the Scriptures. It's the first and longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the entire Bible. And we get to actually look at Jesus' words, at His words. It's not some prophet. It's not looking at Paul's letters. It's not looking at anything Timothy might have said. This is actually, we're going to get to study the very words of Jesus. And when I was a young Christian, I so appreciated a Bible that I got early on that was one of those red letter Bibles, right? You've had those? You open up the Scriptures and Jesus' words are in red which was so important to me as a, as a young Christian when I'm looking and think, okay, there's a lot of... Because everybody says, well, the Bible was written by, by man. Okay, it was written by some authors, yes. But these are the words that Jesus spoke. So I was like, okay, this is where I want to focus my attention as a new, new, new Jesus follower, right? What did this person of Jesus say? And it was easy for me to find because it was in red. I so appreciated that. But these are the very words of Jesus, and to study that really, really kind of gets my, gets my blood moving, right? And it should mesmerize you as you look through the scriptures and you see what this, this Jesus really had to say. Now, to understand the Beatitudes, you got to understand a little bit about the Old Testament, right? Where people had been living under Old Testament rules for thousands and thousands of years. Remember what I always tell you about biblical study, right? There's three basic rules to biblical study. First is context. The second is context, and the third is context, right? We have to sort of look at the context of what was written, the context of when it was written. The Bible wasn't written in a vacuum. The Bible was written in a time to a people in a certain area, in, in, in a certain geographic area. Take all of that into consideration. And so we've got up until now, but before the time of Jesus' ministry, there, it, would you agree saying the people were under the Old Testament living, right? Because that's all they had known. They had known these Old Testament rules and regulations for literally thousands of years. And by the time we get to our text this morning in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, this is the very, 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 very beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And, and the Beatitudes are sort of the, the opening statement to the whole sermon that Jesus is about to unleash and this is where the New Testament really starts in, in the book of Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it doesn't really start until really Jesus goes to the cross and dies, right? That's where the New Covenant 
started, really, if you were to read it. But we're in this period of time where the, the, the people that Jesus would have been addressing in this sermon, um, they didn't really know anything about the New Testament. It hadn't started yet. And most of you already know, I know you guys are good Sunday school, you know, and church attenders and all that. You already know about the New Testament. I'm, I, I'll give you a pass. But someone you may know might not know all there is to know about the New Testament as well, even in today's world. Not you folks, someone you know. But Jesus' audience, remember, all they had ever known was these Old Testament rules and regulations and things that we can read about, even today. And the Old Testament, if you remember, I'll just give you a refresher, you can give this to your friends, you know it, but there's some people in here, or maybe some of you know or watching online, that don't know this. The Old Testament was, a, was really built on uh, laws, rules, regulations, and judgment. And the people in the Old Testament, they were actually living under the, the curse of the time. And Jesus stands up to speak. Remember, that's all they had ever known. But Jesus is going to introduce them to a new way of life. A new kingdom, as Jesus says, and the New Testament is beginning, right? This is an exciting time when you're reading the scripture. The New Testament, if, you, if you're a note taker, you might write this stuff down. If you're not much of a note taker, go ahead and write this down. It, the, the New Testament is coming and it's going to be built on love, on grace. This thing called forgiveness is going to become a thing. Where your sins are going to be able to be forgiven once and for all. This would have been foreign to the Old Testament people, right? They're like, isn't there a bunch of like a long list of things, like one of those scrolls in the cartoons, where you roll it out and it goes down the roll, and boom, boom, boom. Don't we have to do all these things for our sins to be forgiven? Don't we have to come to a priest, right? Don't we have to, and remember the priest, the high priests in that day, they were all Levites, right? They all had to come from the tribe of Levi, in order that you had to find someone from the tribe of Levi as a high priest, and then you know the tri- the tribe of Levi, you had to have that lineage right to be a high priest, and you know you know the joke that's coming right. You had to have Levi genes to be. I'm not ashamed to ask for a laugh or two, because folks, you know it's lonely up here, and I will I will ask you. But this new t- testament, this new covenant. Jesus said, you're going to be living under love and grace and this thing called forgiveness and actually living under the blessing of God. And for thousands of years, God's people have been burdened with the law. You can go back and actually read the law today because it's still in the Old Testament. It's part of our, the canon of Scripture, if you will. Is it okay if I teach a little this morning? Is it okay if we learn a little and have a little Bible class? Go read it. You can read the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. You can read all those laws. Now, the first of all, the laws are difficult to read. Some of them are really difficult to read and understand. And actually, they're impossible to actually keep and to obey them. They're actually, they're actually designed, if you will, to be impossible to keep all of those laws. Because that's why we needed a Savior. That's why we needed someone to step in and provide love and grace and forgiveness and actually God's blessing. So now we're at this New Testament moment, right, in the, in the Scriptures, and in, in, in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is ushering in a new way of life, a new rule, a new guideline, if you will. And it's interesting, you know, you might write this down. Both of the Testaments, I found this really st- staggeringly interesting. Both of the Testaments, if you will, at their, at their, at their moment of defining, uh, at their defining moment when they're beginning, the Old Testament and the New, both of them begin on a mountainside, on a mountain. 
If you remember, the Old Testament sort of began on Mount Sinai, right? There was a guy named Moses back in Exodus. A guy named Moses. You know who Moses was? Any Bible scholars? Moses. You might have heard of him. He goes up on a mountain, right? He receives those ten commandments. The law. He receives the law. In in many ways, we can say this is when the Old Testament began for God's people. He receives the law. He delivers them to the people. It's just interesting to me as well that the Sermon on the Mount, Mount is short, kind of from mountain, hillside, mountainside, the New Covenant, the New Testament begins on on a mountainside. And just like Moses, Jesus goes up on a mountain. He starts to deliver. And the people gather around this hillside. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to introduce to you a new way of life, a new kingdom. And he begins to give these new guidelines for this new way of life. And right before we get into this text, just a little heads up. You can write this down or just put it in your coconut. What we're about to study is 100% opposite of how most of us think today. You might be sitting, sitting out this morning saying, all right, pastor, we're ready. This is cool. I'm ready to get into it. Let's study the very words of Jesus. Let's go. This is cool. No, this is not cool. This is 100% the opposite of how most people think and most people believe today. And I would say that the words in this text that we're about to look at, not only today, but in the next few weeks, they're going to force every single person in here today and watching online, to decide whether or not you're going to continue. If you really, really receive these words, if, you, if I say, are you ready to receive it? And you say, yes. If you really believe that, and you really mean that, you're going to have to decide whether you want to continue living, living your life after the patterns of this world, or whether you're going to turn your life over to the patterns in the will of God, to God's kingdom. And trust me when I say that He is calling each And every one of us, within the sound of my voice, to a different way of life. So Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, and He's coming at them with this new message, this new covenant, this new kingdom living life, much the same as I'm coming to you this morning. Very relevant for as we are sitting here this morning. Will we accept this new way of life? This transforming, it's a transforming message And it's about to change your life. The way you believe and the way you act and the way you think. Will you receive it this morning? Are you ready? You sure? Let's read it. We're going to be in this chapter for a little while now. uh, And I'm excited about it. Matthew chapter 5. If you have it, say amen. Most of you got there already. Matthew chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. Come on, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a what? Mountainside. Mountainside. Here we go. And he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the the Beatitudes, and this is the first one. And this is the one we're going to look at today. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I can't wait for that week. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Like I asked, are you ready to receive it? Are you hungry this morning? How are you going to be fed unless you come in here hungry? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Wrap your head around that one for a minute. We'll get there down the, down the line, but blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Red letters. Remember, this is Jesus. He has the authority to speak these words. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Persecuted. We're going to get to that too in the coming weeks. I'm not talking about a a, a crummy post someone put on social media. I'm talking about persecution for your faith because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's get this word right out of the way, right? He uses this word a bunch of times. What's the recurring word that happens in these verses? Blessed or blessed, right? So let's start there. Blessed. Okay, what's this word blessed? First of all, Jesus uses that nine times in this passage. He uses the word blessed. And it's safe to say all this, when the Bible repeats itself, it's sort of my interpretation, but it's, it's a fact in biblical interpretation. When the Bible repeats itself, God's really trying to get your attention and really trying to make a point. So blessed, 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 all these nine times. It's, it's safe to say this morning that God wants you to be blessed. This isn't some faith believing, all, you know, this isn't some name it and claim it. Everyone should be blessed. And, you know, if you pray for the first parking spot at Walmart, you, by God, you should get that first part. Isn't God good? No, blessed is not something that we take lightly. But it's safe to say that God wants you to be blessed. Nine times in the beginning of this attention-grabbing Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed, blessed, blessed are these people. God doesn't want you living under the curse of the Old Testament anymore. In, in, in contrast, He wants you to be blessed. Now, how many of you, and you can raise your hand, remember my sermons, this is participants of dialogue, not a monologue, I pray. Um, how many would say that, yeah, I would love the blessing of God in my life, right? Right? A few of you didn't raise your hand and were like, okay, well, okay. Maybe you're, you're not there on your faith journey, that's okay. God does want to bless you. Now, the word blessed, right, is a word that means, literally means to be happy. And, that, and this is sort of not like the world's happiness. It has actually nothing to do with the world's happiness, like this happy emotion. Uh, this is a happiness that is, is ingrained, that comes with, from, from God and from within. It's an inner joy, an inner peace, something really that, just look around you today, something the world knows nothing about inner peace. In in fact, by and large, what we see in the world today is inner unrest. You know, the very the very very opposite of the word peace in, in some aspects is unrest. If there's peace, we're good. Ha. Huh. Everybody go, ha. Huh. Right. Peace. But what I see in the world is unrest. Not only conflicts in countries but in people's souls there's unrest there's undecisiveness there's even division the world knows nothing about the happiness we're about to to speak of and jesus is speaking of with this word blessed 
See, a lot of times the world equates blessing or happiness with outward circumstances, right? The world would say that if we achieve a certain level of financial peace or independence, you know, we have a little bit of happiness. We're blessed. How many have run into some people and they just say, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. You know, I love that. I like that. But are you really? You know, the world would say, you know, I'm blessed. I got the new iPhone Pro 12 Max Pro thing, and it's as big as this iPad. Hello? I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed. Did you see the beautiful this car, that set of sneakers, whatever you got sneakers? I'm from Philly, right? It's, what do you call them here? Tennis shoes? I can't get over that. I still can't deal with that. But it's the latest and greatest whatever. I'm blessed. I'm I'm blessed. I'm really blessed. Look at my wonderful home. Look at my wonderful family. Look at my wonderful children. And I am just blessed and happy. This is not what Jesus was referring to. Most people would write the Beatitudes like this. Blessed are those who fly to luxury vacation spots around the world. Where they can sit on tropical islands. And it's just the two of them. And a beautiful sand... They shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who drink much. If you look on social media and on commercials on TV, right? Think of about these commercials that you watch the game and all these commercials come by. Blessed are people who can gather and drink much alcohol. For they shall be carefree with lightly, uh, with highly effective and and attractive people. All of them around, all around them. For they shall be satisfied. Of course, until their faces are all bloated and their liver gives out. Blessed are those who have the latest gadgets, who have the latest technology, who have all of that in their home. Blessed are they that have the latest smartphone, for they shall gaze on a screen with swirling color and stare for hours on end, and they shall become zombie-like, and they shall be satisfied. Maybe one more. Blessed are those who make it to the very, very top of the social ladder. For then they will get down, they will be able to look down on everyone, and they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who have perfect children. Right? Think about the advertising that comes across. Blessed are those who have perfect children. Verily I say to you, maybe they would write, how highly blessed are those of you that have the perfect child and the golden lab that's rebounding along in the park with playing in the slow motion video with your children. For you shall be the envy of cul-de-sacs everywhere. (laughs) Friends, true blessing, true happiness, and true peace, true joy has nothing to do with fame, fortune, alcohol, social media, or iPhones and material possessions. True blessing, write this down, true blessing, how I describe it, true blessing comes from divine favor. It comes from the grace of God and divine favor in your life. It's something you haven't earned and it's something you don't deserve. It's God's divine favor. He sees it. He sees fit that you have His grace. It's something you can't put there yourself. It's something you can't earn it, you can't achieve it, you can't get it. The more harder you work, it doesn't matter. God puts this in you. This blessed, this happy, this God's divine favor. 
It's living your life in a way that God actually puts His hand of blessing upon your life. It's a joy that comes from within. It has to do with having a genuine and personal and active relationship with Jesus Christ the Savior. It's on the inside. It's something that happens supernaturally. It's not something you can get or or achieve. It happens supernaturally. It's God's divine favor. He decides. He decides. So I want to ask you this question again. How many of you truly want the blessing of God in your life? If that's what you want this morning, I hope you're listening. And and I hope you're comfortable and sitting down this morning if you're watching online. I know most of you are sitting here. Because I wouldn't want you to faint and hit your head. And and because Jesus says, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, how do we get there? What's the first beatitude? Jesus says, okay, you ready? Blessed? You have to become poor in spirit. Wait a minute. That's upside down. That's not what I thought was going to happen. Don't I have to work harder? Don't I have to earn it? Don't I have to show... You have to become poor in spirit. We're going to dig into this. Poor in spirit. When's the last time you ever saw that advertised in a Super Bowl commercial? Hey, everybody, become poor in spirit. I don't think so. Well, let me just state for the record that whatever poor in spirit means, and we'll get there, whatever poor in spirit means, it must be important because Jesus says that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, belongs to those who, who are poor in spirit. It's it's an encouraging word. Again, this kingdom living is upside down. How How can poor in spirit be encouraging? In fact, ask your neighbor, are you poor in spirit this morning? Really do it. Are you poor in spirit? Not a great happy response. Turn to your other neighbor who was your second choice and tell him, I don't really know what it means either. The word poor, right, in in the original language, in the Greek, when Jesus spoke this, the word poor actually translates into to beg, to be be a beggar. To be a beggar. It literally means to be poor in spirit. means someone who not just has some financial difficulty. No, this means someone that is so broken. They are so empty and they're so lost. They have absolutely nothing. They literally have no choice at all to live except to stand on a street corner and beg for the very necessities of life. Be poor in spirit. They actually become a beggar. It also means this, that you really have no dignity left. You're that poor. You're that destitute. There's zero pride, not even an ounce of pride in your life. You have no choice but to beg. You have completely emptied self of self You recognize your own spiritual inadequacies and your own spiritual impoverishment. Poor in spirit. Not poor in your bank account. Poor in spirit. You recognize your own spiritual impoverishment. Being poor in spirit, you recognize that you are absolutely nothing without God. You recognize, these folks would have recognized who Jesus was speaking to, that the law cannot save them. 
The doing of good deeds cannot save you. You recognize that everything that you are, everything that you have is because of God's grace and divine favor in your life. And you're not ashamed. You're not ashamed to declare your spiritual bankruptcy. You live openly as though every breath you breathe and every beat of your heart is solely due to the grace of Almighty God in your life. That is where you get to when you're poor in spirit. And finally, it means to live in humility before God. Truthfully, most of us don't think that way. Most of us that are here or listening online, uh, we think, you know, that God, God kind of owes us. You know, he, I mean, we're decent people, right? We're good people. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. I get that, but, you know, I should go to heaven or, or aunt so-and-so or grandma so-and-so should go to heaven. I mean, they're good people, right? They've earned it. This is the way that most of us think that, you know, I'm a good person. Not you. I mean, not you people. People that you know may think this. You know, people are like, well, hey, you know what? I never shot anybody. If, you, if you've never shot anybody, raise your hand. Don't, don't know. Don't worry. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But I hope you never have, and I hope you never have to. Um, but you think somehow if we just, you know what? I, I go to church pretty regularly. I'm here at least twice a month. I mean, it was a busy week. I had a lot going on and it was really hard to get here today, but I made it. Somehow I got in my car and I'm here. It was tough, but I'm here. I'm here. You think, oh, you know what? Hey, I, I put a 20 in the offering plate, man, and, and you know, well, I gave a can of beans to the box. I mean, I, we don't live in humility before God. We think that God kind of owes us. You know, I actually went to the dollar store. My goodness, thank you. I went to the dollar store and filled a bag and brought in one dollar cans of beans. Would you yourself eat one dollar cans of beans? For those that don't know, the the table over there in the corner, corner is for the blessing box we have outside this office door out here that is free to come. Anybody can come and, and either put stuff in or take stuff out. And there's people in the community that are part of a bigger bigger project called the Blessing Box of the Shenango Valley. And it's tied to a network of people. And pe- more people come. I, maybe it might be 50-50. Um, a lot of people come and fill it. A lot of this stuff is here still because people come and fill it because they hear about it being empty. And some people come and clean it out. And that's what it's there for. I didn't plan on talking about the boxes of beans. But so often we see when we go to donate or we go to give or we go to provide, we go to the dollar store, we we give the no sugar added vanilla pudding. I see some of you know about no sugar added vanilla pudding. But that's what we bring to put in the box. Would you eat that in your home? Is that excellence? Is that hospitality? Back to the sermon. But we think because we do things like that, that's not the humility that we have, that God kind of should let us in, right? God should, we should be part of this kingdom that he's talking about here. You know, I got a couple of things, right, that we kind of struggle with, but by and large, never shot anybody, probably. But God, He understands, and you know, He knows, and God is love, right? God loves me, and hey, everybody, you know what, needs to wake up a little bit and pay attention, because the kingdom of heaven, heaven, having God's blessing on your life is not coming your way because of anything that you've done. 
It's not coming toward you because you come to church or because you pay your tithe or because you take communion or because you hold the door open for little old ladies and you bring your bag of beans. The kingdom of God belongs to the person who says, I am absolutely nothing without God. Poor in spirit. I am destitute without you, God. My life is meaningless. And I know there are people that struggle. I know. Believe me. I know there are different people on different journeys. And I get that. And, and, but everybody wants to be happy. I get it. Everybody wants to get there. Nobody, nobody signs up and says, boy, I hope I have a miserable life. No one signs up for that. So everybody says, okay, I want to be, on one hand, I want to be happy. I want this happiness this, that you're talking about. This I want to be blessed on one hand. On the other hand, let me just get real with you if it's alright this morning. I want to be happy. Over here, everyone, everyone in this room, and here's the uplifting thought for the day, is going to die. Everybody wants to be happy. I want to be happy. I know. Me too. But everyone's going to die. I want you to think about that. Everyone wants to be happy, but you're going to die. Oh, I'm scared of COVID. Doesn't matter if it's COVID or something else. You're going to die. The Bible says that it's appointed for man wants to die. You don't get out of here alive. No one gets out of this life alive. So I want to be happy. I don't want to die, but I want to be happy. On one hand, everybody wants to be happy. So what I'm telling you is, what happens in between? What happens in between? I want to be happy, and I'm going to die. God gives you so much time, and there's a whole poem written about the dash. Anybody familiar with that? It's called The Dash. And it's basically what's on people's tombstone. They live from 1928 to whatever. And it's that dash in between. What did you do with that time? You might have today. You might be gone tomorrow. You might die next week. You might die 10 years. You might have 20 years. You might have 50 years. The question is, you're here now. You want to be happy. But one day it's the end. What is happening on the in-between time? I want to be happy. Until this. There's only one thing. Every single moment, and listen to me church, every single moment on your life, of your life here on this earth, you and I walk humbly before God. Walk humbly before God. Please hear those words this morning church. Being poor in spirit. Living humbly in humility before God, realizing that nothing you do deserves heaven. It's only by His grace and His divine favor. Walk humbly before God. God doesn't owe you anything. Augustine said this 16 centuries ago, back in the year 425 or so. That's a long time ago. He said there are three things that are essential for Christianity. This is Augustine back in the year 425. Three things that are essential for Christianity. He said, number one is humility. Number two is humility. And number three is humility. Essential for Christianity, he said. 
Here's the deal. Here's the deal. The person that's poor in spirit, the person who has emptied self of self, the person who is joining us online or here in person or myself even, that person who is here today and says, I'm absolutely nothing without God. He's all I need and there's nothing in this world I need except for God and God alone. Here's the deal. The kingdom of God belongs to you. It belongs to you. That's who gets to taste the kingdom of God. It's not the Democrats. And it's not the Republicans. It's not the educated. And it's not the uneducated. It's not the vaccinated. It's not the unvaccinated. It's not who those who have the most followers on social media. Hashtag the struggle is real sermon. Go back and listen to it. It's not the one who makes the most money. Not the one who keeps the law. Not the one who does the most greatest good deeds. Not the brightest person. Not the funniest person. Not the prettiest person. Not the kindest person. It's not the wealthiest person. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. The kingdom of God belongs to and is reserved to the person that is 100% dependent on God and walks in His humility. Three things. you got to get all these before you leave and then we're done. Number one, self-righteousness is the opposite of humility. And it's true. You're either here this morning, right, and you're trusting in yourself for your own salvation, your own abilities, your own bootstraps, right, your own good deeds, or you realize that that stuff is all worthless in the eyes of God and the only thing that really matters is the grace of Almighty God upon your life. Here's a, here's a classic account in the scriptures. If you have your Bibles and you have something quick to, to get over to Luke chapter 18, go over there. You ought to read this every week of your life. Really, Pastor? Every, yes, every week. Every week should start out with this. Luke 18 and verse 9. If you have it, say amen. If you're not, I'm going anyway. Luke 18, 9. It's on the screen. Jesus said to some who were confident in their own righteousness. Love the scriptures. And they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Self-sufficient people. They were confident in their own righteousness. Not in the righteousness of God. Not walking in His humility. This is what Jesus said. He told them this parable. There were two men. They went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. The other a tax collector. And if you know anything about the scriptures. These people that would, um, that would be called tax collectors. They were the lowest of the low, right? They were people that were hated, despised. Most of the time they were criminals. They would take more than the tax that was required and pocket the difference. And if you know the Bible history, that's kind of the people they were. And the Pharisees was a religious person. A Pharisee. And I mean, I would say, who's a Pharisee? Kind of if if this was those days right now, we would probably fit into that category. We would be those, those religious people. You probably consider yourself a religious person, right? If you're in church today, some of us would say that we're religious people. So the story in the Pharisees, I'm a Pharisee, you're a Pharisee, and there's a tax collector. And they go up to the temple to pray. And in verse 11, it says this, that the Pharisee stood by himself. The religious person stood by himself. You know, he's in the temple, in their church of the day, right? And he's praying. And he stands up and he prayed about himself stood by himself and said, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like all those other people. 
robbers, the evildoers, those adulterers, and even our old tax collector. What's he doing in church? He goes on to say this, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I have in the offering. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance, sort of off to the side, unassuming. He would not even look up to heaven. Talk about not having that self-pride thing. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home, this man, the tax collector, went home justified before God. Because everyone, everyone who will exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's upside down. It's upside down. And that's exactly what this first beatitude is about. Realizing that there's nothing you can do to merit God's amazing grace. And on your very best day, your very best day, you're nothing but a sinner in dire need of a Savior. And it doesn't matter if, if like this tax collector, or it doesn't matter like this Pharisee, if you give a double, triple tithe, we'll take it. But it doesn't matter. It's not getting you into the kingdom of heaven. You can pray and fast twice a week, three times a week. You can pray and fast for 21 days. It doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. You can achieve an Olympic gold medal. It doesn't get you the kingdom of heaven. You can be the smartest guy in the room, able to quote scripture like nobody else. Maybe you're just a good guy or a good woman, and you can kind of you keep the commandments as, and as best you can, right? None of those things get you the kingdom of heaven. Only... By trusting God, being poor in spirit, and walking in the humility of God's presence. Not trusting in your own outward circumstances. It's what gives you the peace of the blessing that we're talking about. This word blessed. See, most of us, we're fair weather people. If the weather's good outside, well, it's a good day. But if it's raining outside, oh man. Raining again. If our retirement portfolio looks good that week, hey, it's going to be a good month. It's going to be a good day. But if things kind of go south a little bit, we're like, oh, it's going to be a bad day. It's like the lady who, um, who was comparing good and bad with a friend of hers. And some things look good, some things look bad. And she says, she just got married. And she goes to her friend and she says, you know what? Uh, I just got married. The friend says, oh, that's good. The lady says, no, it's bad. He doesn't love me. They go, oh, that's bad. No, it's good because he's rich. And the lady says, oh, it's good. No, he's rich. No, no, it's bad because he won't give me any of the money. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's bad. No, yeah, it's good because he built this huge house. Oh, man, that's good. No, it's not good because the house burnt down. Oh, that's bad, it's bad. No, no, that's good, because he was in it. (laughs) Fair weather people. The Apostle Paul writes this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. This is Philippians chapter 4, and we've, we've, 
we, pa- we packaged this in a nice little hashtag, whatever sermon uh, that was a couple weeks ago. Um, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. What does that mean? He goes, I, I've, I know what it is to have nothing. Literally nothing. Be dirt poor. In fact, Paul was in prison. I know what it is to have plenty, to have all that I need. And whether I have a little or have a lot, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I'm well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Well, what's the secret? I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Well, how do you expect me to be happy if I lose everything? How do you expect me, God, to be happy if I've lost literally everything? My job, my family, how do I... How You can trust God for His strength. Not your own strength. Through His strength. To see you through. What if I get sick and lose my health? Keep trusting God. God will see you through this health crisis. God, what if I lose it all financially? Keep trusting God. You will only realize this blessing when you are absolutely and only depending on God. You can have a lot, like Paul said, or you can have a little. doesn't matter. The secret to contentment is you can do it all through Him who gives you strength. The last thing, humility and serving are twins. It's not enough to sit around all day and just say, I need you, God. I'm nothing without you, God. I am completely dependent on you. Because once you find yourself emptying yourself of yourself, and you're truly crying out to God and leaning on Him literally for everything in, you like, you, in life, you can't help but get up and start serving the people around you in the name of the Lord. Humility and service are twins. You can't do one without the other. Think about that. And don't forget that. So many times we we hear these messages and we hear these points and we read the scriptures and we close our Bible and we go home and that Bible sits on the counter, the TV stand, or wherever it sits until next week when we come in here and open it again. And we may have forgotten what we heard. It's easy to forget. Is anybody forgetful? Anybody would, there's a few that admit it, you can get kind of forgetful. You just, ah, I, what did he say? Well, let me open the scriptures again and read it. I don't want you to forget this stuff because this is life-changing, life-transforming stuff if you will come hungry and eat it. There was a story, and I'll, I'll end with this, and, and I say don't forget this stuff because some of us can get a little bit forgetful. There was a couple, and they, they met, right? They actually met in a nursing home. Older couple met in a nursing, convalescent home. And they met each other, and they started to like each other. And they, they fell in love with one another and, and in the nursing home. And how many have seen? Like, that's, that's kind of cute, right? And one day, the man got up enough courage, he was going to ask this lady if she would marry him. And he was going to do it at the dinner table. You know where they, they all eat dinner in these places? They all have like a community dinner table. And the place where they all eat dinner. So he, he went over and he sat down and he said, Hey, honey, I want to ask you something. Picture this in your mind's eye, right? She said, well, what, What's that? He said, 
will you marry me? She said, yes, I will. And so he was all fired up and excited, this older man. He, he went to bed and he got up the next morning and he remembered asking her, but he couldn't remember if she said yes or no. So he decided, right, I'm talking about forget. Don't forget what you learned today. He decided he would just be honest and he goes and finds her at the breakfast table and he says, honey, last night at the dinner table, I know that I asked you to marry me, but, but I can't for the life of me remember if you said yes or no. She said, I said yes. And she goes, I'm glad you asked because this morning when I woke up, I knew I said yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. <laughs> my, po- my point is I leave you with that my point is I don't ever want you to forget this that God calls us to be poor in spirit you can't live another moment of your life without total dependence upon God but side by side in humility is serving those around you and I know that most of us, we spent all week, right? You probably spent all week taking care of you. Well, what did you do in the last seven days to serve someone else? To serve your church? Do you know that 20% of the people do 80% of the work around here? Maybe it's your turn. What have you done in the last seven, seven days for your neighbor? What have you done this week for Jesus himself? Let's stand this morning. Randy, if you would come. I want to read this and leave you with this. And we'll pray and we will go. But I want to leave you with this. Somewhere. Philippians in the scriptures tells us this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset some translation says have the attitude of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider himself or did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage humility rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a what? Servant. He made himself nothing. The ultimate example of humility. And he took on the nature of a servant. Humility and service are twins. He didn't... He being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Jesus being the ultimate example for us, humbled himself to death. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. 
and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He set the perfect example for us. It is a little bit of upside down thinking. I understand. It might take some time for you to get your mind wrapped around what he's trying to teach us. The ultimate example for us is Jesus Christ. Making himself nothing. Humbling himself. And what did God do? He exalted him to the highest place. Jesus humbled himself, became a servant, and God exalted him to the highest place. Jesus himself, in the red letters, said that blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And we unpack what all that means. So as we pray this morning, I would encourage you to bow your head, maybe close your eyes, get in in an attitude of prayer, a posture of prayer. Reflect on what you've heard this morning, not from me, but how the Holy Spirit has translated that to you. And would you come to a place in your life this morning where you would come to that place where you ultimately surrender and you ultimately say, you know what, it's nothing that I can do. I I need to stop trying, in fact. And just let the divine favor, the grace of God come in fully to your life and you surrender fully to Him and stop trying to do it on your own. How many know that doing it on your own, you can get pretty tired? You can get pretty weary trying to keep up appearances, trying to keep up appearances to your neighbor, to your family, and most of all to God, it can get pretty exhausting. I wonder if there are any per, any people here this morning or, or watching online that are tired because you've been trying to do it yourself. Trying to get your point across, trying to get your opinion heard trying to do it yourself to merit yourself I wonder if you'd be challenged this morning by the Holy Spirit to give that up this morning to give yourself up and let the grace of God and the divine presence of God the divine favor of God to take over in your life and to be filled with His Spirit this morning so you don't have to do it alone it's not something you can earn it's not something you deserve it's by His grace Having considered all that, I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. If you say to me, Pastor, I'm done trying to do it on my own, it's flat out exhausting. I need the God, God's divine favor in my life. I seek it. I'm desiring that. I want that. And I want it to begin right now. I'm done trying to do it on my own that's you this morning just slip your hand up you know how we do around here just say pastor that's me I'm done doing it on my own I'm turning this over to God I want his divine favor in my life the the, the arguments have to stop the division has to stop the unrest has to stop I want to be blessed I want this this peace that you speak of and I'm finding myself wanting to be poor in spirit I want to be humility. I want to be humbled by God in order to receive His divine favor in my life. I've seen some hands go up already. Are there any others? Amen. Thank you for your transparency. Amen. Yes, I see you in the back. I thank you for your transparency, your honesty, not before me, but before God this morning. 
nothing to do with me standing up here. Like many preachers, I stand behind the shadow of the cross. It's his word that goes forth, not mine. One more time, anybody else? Say, you know what, I'm, I'm surrendering. Amen. Father, you've seen those hands that were raised, Lord, and I know that those were firm, heartfelt, meaningful commitments, Lord, to seek your favor and to seek your peace, God. And God, I know that some people are being challenged this morning to become poor in spirit as we've unpacked it, as your word says, poor in spirit means. Nothing, Lord, in this world matters more to us as Jesus' followers than to walk humbly before you in our lives. Some of us, Lord, are actually figuratively getting off of our soapbox this morning, putting differences aside, letting people who want to argue and fight and and have their dukes up and ready to go at any moment, letting those people have their moments. But God, we are stepping aside, Lord, and we are becoming poor in spirit and walking humbly before you, God, because everything that we have, every breath that we take is because of your divine favor and your grace. So, Father, we take a step aside. And, Jesus, we put you out in front. And might we all stand before the Almighty God this morning in humility, realizing our own spiritual impoverishment that we are nothing without you. We may have strong opinions. We may have strong good thoughts, Lord, that will help people. But God, that's not of us. God, we might walk humbly in your presence. Jesus, we we pray these prayers that and we hear these songs that we've decided to follow Jesus. And Lord, by the very nature of the word follow means that you're going first. We're following you. So God, might you be first in our lives. Jesus, might you go before everything that we come across. Might your provenient grace keep us, Lord, from situations that might turn out terminal for us. Jesus, might we follow you from this moment forward. And by following, that means you go first. So, Lord, we follow you. I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you, Jesus, for the red letters in the Bible. Now, Lord, take these words that you have delivered to every person that's heard them this morning. Translate them, Lord, might they permeate our hearts. That some way, Lord, we will find in us exactly how to empty ourselves and to allow you to take full control. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So God, we empty ourselves of ourselves and we receive, Lord, your blessing this morning. I thank you for meeting us here. I thank you for every person, Lord, who is not here by accident. And I pray, Lord, that we would all be changed and different because of what the Holy Spirit has said to us. And although we may depart from this place, Might we not depart from your presence? And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.
Amen and amen. Buckle up for the rest of this series. It's going to be good.